So my strategy with these families, with kids with special needs is to get out exactly what it is kids need, those, that child needs to be successful in a school. That means having everything on paper um, besides you know, all of the testing reports that kind of come along with the package, but creating something that almost looks like a resume that's three or four or five pages long, has all the key points of how to make this child successful in a school. And you're really boiling it down. So when the admissions director looks at this, Hopefully, they're taking it also to the learning support coordinator. But when the admissions director looks at it, it's in their language. Hello, and welcome to the Thriving Abroad podcast. I'm Louise Wiles, your host for these conversations, where we share stories, strategies, and tips to help you build happy and thriving lives abroad. And welcome to episode 76. I am so excited to welcome you to this conversation with April Rumfrey, an educational consultant. Today we're talking about school searches, selection decisions and transitions. And this is a great episode for parents, teachers and anyone with an interest in supporting internationally mobile children and teens. And especially for those who have children with special educational needs. My most emotionally challenging moments when living abroad have been those when I've been either leaving my nervous but resolutely brave children at new school day gates or watching them and their friends say their goodbyes as they or their friends have moved on. These times have been early lessons in transition, endings and new beginnings. And one part of the international transition that can be particularly stressful for parents and students alike is the school selection process, especially where children have special educational needs or where we're having to integrate into local educational systems with all their idiosyncrasies. How do we approach schools? What information about our children should we be able to share? And how do we discover the best or right school for our loved ones. We discuss all of this and more in today's podcast conversation. As always, you can read the blog post post over on the Thriving Abroad website and download the transcript there as well. Look for episode 76. And there you can also learn more about April and her work and how she perhaps can support you and your family. And while you're there, sign up to receive Thriving Abroad newsletter. That way, I'll be able to keep you up to date with all the latest podcast and related news. Enjoy the conversation. So hello, April. Really lovely to have you joining the conversation today. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, it's really great that you're here. And um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation about transitions in this educational sector and um, supporting our children either as teachers or as parents um, to to ease their transition really. Um, But before we get into the conversation can you tell me a little bit or tell us a little bit about your international journey and the work that you are now doing? Um, it started about 20 years ago. My husband was a Russian and French major in university, and his sole goal in life was to live in France and work in France. So after having been married for two years, we lived in Paris for a couple of years where I had no work permit upon arrival, which is a common story. And I had to, um, 
you know, figure it out as I went, which kind of started me down the path of recreating myself every time we, we made a move. So we went back to the U.S. for a few years, um, and now we've been in Switzerland for the last eight years. Um, so I've, during that time, I've learned that my skills can be applied just about anywhere. And as a, a teacher of kids with additional learning needs, um, there's always a job somewhere. Um, so now I've taught in public, private, and international schools. And um, in the last couple of years, I've been working with um, globally mobile families that are looking for the right international school for their child with some type of special needs um, being uh, either above or below and out, falling outside of that general education bubble. Um, mm -hmm. And the other piece of, of the other arm of what I'm doing at the moment is I've created um, a, a learning platform for international schools to help them track progress of, of students um, so they can make really good curriculum decisions helping kids move forward. Brilliant, brilliant. Great. Well, we'll perhaps feed some of that content and detail into the conversation as we go. I'm sure if there are parts where you, know, you can talk about how that enhances the experience, then, then do. Really interesting to hear the recreation story. Um, that's appeared many times on the <laughs> Thriving Abroad podcast. Um, so I guess we could take the conversation down that route, but we won't today. Um, mm -hmm. But just to say that, you know, to anyone listening who, go, who went, whose ears pricked up um, at the, the mention of the challenge of recreation as you move internationally there are quite a number of podcasts on that subject so just to put in expat partner to the search category and you will get a lot of podcasts <laughs> popping up which will help you in fact the latest uh, the latest one i've just done talking about that subject was with nicole webb um so go and search for that that episode so on to um education and and transitions you know times of challenges transition can be challenging not just for Children, also for adults, you know, it's the entire experience of the family, isn't it? That um, all feeds into the challenge, I guess. Um, and mm. especially at the moment with the pandemic and, you know, the transition to online learning for kids as well, I guess, is a, mm -hmm. you know, a different type of transition, but it's still a transition. Mm. So I'm really interested, just starting there's a broad topic or subject end, can you identify some of the challenges that you see families, children facing as they relocate broadly, and then perhaps ex extend that to give a, an overview of what's happened during the pandemic, if you've seen some differences and additional challenges as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, transitions is such a broad topic, right? Um, but when we're talking about kids um, in schools, um, it starts with families starting to look for the right school for their, for their kids. And that transition of, of starting the planning is kind of the, you know, the ground zero for when that transition happens. And it's such a long process. And a lot of us know the work by, of, of Ruth Van Rieken and, and David Pollock and now his son, Michael Pollock. And the idea of creating that raft to be able to take you through that transition process is something that we read about. But the idea of actually putting it into place in schools especially is not happening as much as we, we thought it would. Um, Ellen Mahoney and um, Jane Barron just came out with a, a good bit of research finding that 
65% of international schools focus on that transition when kids are arriving, um, but only 45% when they're leaving. And it gets even worse when we're talking about those kids that are repatriating to home countries like you and your family have done. Um, but then we forget about those kids that are staying in the school mm-hmm. and they're the ones that have to, or maybe local, like our daughter is a local kid in in the Swiss schools, but there's lots of kids moving in and out. And we forget that they're also the ones going through a transition, even though they're staying in place. Yeah. Because friends are leaving, teachers are leaving. It's this this constant fluctuation of people in in kids' lives. Um, And one thing I like to tell parents is that you need to be able to open up the conversation to hear how everyone's feeling during the transition, whether it's the planning part, whether it's you've just arrived, or like we were talking before, six months in, a year in, you can't mm-hmm. just assume that everyone's transitioned well and it's over. You know, you know, it's yeah. dusted and done. Um, it's a constant process, mm-hmm. and especially if you're that one that isn't moving and everyone else around you is, we can't forget around about those kids' needs too. No, absolutely. I remember that so clearly from my years in, we were in Portugal, just outside Lisbon for four years. And by the fourth year, I was very tired with yeah, of that, that goodbye phase. Well, and I was saying goodbye then as well. But, you know, it was something that you everyone started building up to from about Easter onwards, yeah. you know, and you could see the shift in friendship patterns as well amongst the kids because they were probably not consciously, but subconsciously preparing mm-hmm. themselves as well for the loss right. of friends who were leaving and it's it's a tough tough thing and I've yeah. never seen my children so upset well I have but you know it has been one of the most traumatic things I think for them when friends really close friends have left um, and they react in different ways and I think that's the important thing I've got one who bottles it up and doesn't cry at the moment of goodbye and the other who absolutely dissolves you know, so I know exactly where she is, but I don't know where my other daughter is. So mm-hmm. I think that's an important thing to say, isn't it? The mm-hmm. reactions vary. Yeah. They're going to be very different. But if we as parents can model talking about it and saying mm-hmm. where we're at, um, it, it's, it, it encourages our kids to be able to say what they're feeling and not feel that there's going to be judgment about it. Like, oh, it'll be fine. You know, that's the, the standard line. Kids are resilient. It'll be fine. They'll get over it. Um, but sometimes they don't and it's okay. Mm. We just have to create the place for them to be able to say their feelings out loud. And and when we model that and show them that it's okay to say those feelings out loud that, and that everyone is going to hear you, whether or not they can relate to you or not is different, but I'm going to listen Mm. to you is really important. Um, our daughter went through that, her best friend of um, five years, um, born here in Switzerland, but her family is Brazilian and they moved back to Brazil. And that was extremely traumatic mm-hmm. because she mm-hmm. was one of the, the stayers, right? Then that's yeah. what we call those kids. They're not, she's not going anywhere, but she, her life was just as upended as Maria's moving to Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so working through that process of being able to say all of the things you need to say to each other before the goodbyes happen. Um, but then thinking about how you can continue the relationship after the move mm-hmm. has happened mm-hmm. is also yeah. really critical to the process. With, with everything that's going on with COVID, these transitions seem to be really stretched out 
So mm-hmm. a transition that might have been, you know, three months start to finish mm-hmm. is now taking a year because things are being um, pushed back longer and longer and longer. And, you know, you hear about those families that want to you know, make a big surprise. We're going to Disneyland. We're going to tell the kids the day before. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is so there isn't so much anticipation yes. because yeah. that can mm-hmm. be very anxiety provoking yeah. and anxiety can be positive and negative for Disneyland. It's going to be positive anxiety and mom and dad don't want to hear every single day. Is it today we're going? Is it today we're going? <laughs> and in this case it's negative anxiety and that anticipatory anxiety can build and build and build. Yeah. And then before you've actually moved, the trauma is already there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in yeah. this case of COVID, um, we're, we're extending the period of anticipatory anxiety and things are going to change in the middle of that. And um, it's not just kids that need to know what's going to happen in the future. Adults, we do too. Mm-hmm. And not mm-hmm. having that information can be really difficult to deal with. Um, so again, creating that yeah. space at home to be able to talk about it or meeting other people that have gone through the same experience can be um, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I call it limbo land. And I think, you know, over the years I've observed so many people in limbo land just because of, I'm going to be honest here, poor organization in companies, poor planning um, and making people hang on, you know, and that conversation often starts around Christmas. Yes, we're due to leave this year, but we don't know where we're going and it's all up in the air. And even will we even have a job? Will the partner who's working even have a job? Um, that, yeah, and people live with that. And then add COVID into the picture and it will become, um, yeah, tougher. I suppose there's also the opposite, which is the people, people during COVID have made very, had to make very quick decisions as well. You know, just before borders shut, you know, I know a lot of people just had to, were, were told by their company, right, you make a quick decision, we'll repatriate you if you want to, or you stay. And, and so people had to just decide in a matter of days. That must be really tough too. Absolutely. I, I mean, I know I have a friend that went, was, you know, sent back um, to, and it wasn't even her home, it was her husband's. So they were living with their in-laws and she was teaching from the U.S. in Eastern Europe. Um, so her, yeah. you know, she's got a four-year-old and okay. her schedule, she was working, you know, midnight shift yeah. to continue mm-hmm. her, her job. Um, but then there were those people that were in search, you know, back in their, you know, passport country and they needed to get back to somewhere like Thailand, which doesn't let anybody in unless you can Mm -hmm. prove you have a job. So, you know, there's some people that partners are being split apart because one has the job, the other is on a a tourist visa. Um, And then you add layers of same-sex partners who don't have the rights of marriage um, married couples, and it adds some really nasty layers onto these, all of these transitions that are taking place. Yeah. And it's interesting how little this is all being talked about really in the mainstream press. I mean, certainly in the UK, very focused on what's going on in the UK mm-hmm. and everyone's celebrating working from home. You know, there's a lot of very positive commentary about being virtual and the freedom that gives you to work from home, but not so much about the downsides. And, and this is obviously one where you're working a time zone that just does not fit with your normal, natural routine. And that's incredibly tough for people, especially mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so just thinking, so just to clarify and to summarise this part of the conversation then. So mm-hmm. 
you know, people who are coping or having to cope with this kind of anticipatory anxiety, the, stat, the, the, the strategy you suggest is that families make sure they're talking about mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and sharing their feelings about it all. Right. And anything else? Yeah. The other thing to really talk about is what's the worst case scenario? Because our minds jump there anyway. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's good just to say it out loud. What is the worst thing that could happen? Yeah. And, and then yeah. what would we do if that did happen? Yeah. Um, and sometimes having a plan for the worst case scenario relieves some of that anxiety. Yeah. And, yeah. and because we have all of these crazy thoughts, you know, what could actually Mm -hmm. happen here, but getting it out and realizing, oh, she has the same thought that I do, Mm. you know, and and then being, it it kind of, it's like the monster in in the closet. You're taking the monster out of the closet, looking at it. What does it really look like? What would we do if it came out of the closet and how can we get it back in there? Yeah. 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 And recognizing that usually what Worst case, best case, and then somewhere in the middle, and that's probably where you'll be. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's a really good strategy. So what I'm thinking, I'm thinking about education now, Mm -hmm. and so you know, so families who are in this kind of situation, perhaps uncertainty about when they go and where they go. Yeah. What are your recommendations that they do around thinking through school options? Because obviously, you know, if you're looking, for example, at international schools around the world, some of them get way oversubscribed. You need to have your kids on lists and be talking um, early in the school year. So mm-hmm. what are your recommendations about how mm-hmm. they manage this? Yeah, I think it's really important to see what all of the options are where you're going and realize that there's no perfect school, even though mm-hmm. um, maybe where you're going, a lot of the people that are in the new company or at the new location say, this is the only school that you can send your kids to. And then it becomes a status issue. Um, and But one of the things that is my pet peeve is when schools will admissions will say a a family of three, you know, we'll take those two kids, but not that one because that one has needs that fall outside of the general education bubble. And that is also extremely traumatic for families. And when you're talking about um, transitioning and moving to a new location every two or three years, that's a lot of um, rejection Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. rejection for the family rejection for the children um, so realizing that it's okay if your kids have to go to separate schools, number mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. Number two, your kids all have different needs. And, and you, you need to be able to see all the positives and negatives for schools and taking people's opinions with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you are going to hear a lot of talk because us international families, the first thing we do is we go find a Facebook group that's in that area and ask the question, you know, what are mm-hmm. the best schools in this area? How do I make sure my kids get into those schools? And what works for some one family isn't going to work for another family. Mm-hmm. So my strategy with these families with kids with special needs is to get out exactly what it is kids need, those, that child needs to be successful in a school. That means having everything on paper um, besides you know, all of the testing reports that kind of come along with the package, but creating something that almost looks like a resume that's three or four or five pages long, has all the key points of how to make this child successful in a school. And you're really boiling it down. So when the admissions director looks at this, 
hopefully they're taking it also to the learning support coordinator. But when the admissions director looks at it, it's in their language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we as parents have a really hard time being able to boil down what our kids need because Mm -hmm. we don't know what our kids look like at school. Yeah. They look like at home. But we don't know what they look like at school. And we see what, even if we see our kids working on their homework and learning at home, that's still going to look different than what it does in a school setting. Mm-hmm. So to prepare for that, um, I am the one typically with my clients that I go and talk to past teachers and ask them these questions. But parents can do that too. Um, regardless of your kids' needs, you can go mm-hmm. back to your kids' teachers and say, what do my kids need to to perform well in the classroom. What do you mm-hmm. do? What are your strategies to help boost their confidence in the classroom or, or help support them in the classroom? And teachers are happy to share that information. It's just not a question they get asked very often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. even over email, send out mm-hmm. to all of your kids' teachers, what do you do? What are your strategies to help my kids be successful? And then take that information and give it to the new school. Brilliant. And, and yeah. then that new school can you know, save some time because there's often this statement that says, um, let's just wait and see how they do. Is <laughs> such a waste of time. What if, you know, it, what if they were able to talk to the past school or we were able to convey that information? Because more than likely, the past school has found some really good strategies that work and they know your mm. kid pretty well. Why can't the new school have that information too? It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I definitely sense that with my when, when we've moved schools, that the new school wants to create their own picture and do their own thing. It's almost like a, a point of pride or, a yeah. you know, we're better you know, than we, we're better. You know, yeah. We will get a picture and we will make our own decisions about what. Right. Here. And I think in that scenario, I think they're talking about academic success Mm, mm, you know how they're performing what's their how what's their reading level um how are they doing in math that kind of information yeah they're a little leery about saying yeah because our school curriculum's better than the last so they may be not performing at the same that's different than um it's really helpful in right away in the morning to go make contact with louise just so you guys have a, a a a point together each morning that makes that, Mm -hmm. you know, puts her at ease in the morning. Um, Those kinds of things take a long time for teachers to figure out. Yeah. They can make all the difference or, um, you know, April has a hard time concentrating during math class. Try to sit her next to someone that would be helpful in in redirecting her. Yeah. Those kinds of strategies are what I'm talking about. So, you know, if you've got a kid that's moving every three years, you're, it's going to take three months or so for teachers to figure out that information. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. If you're talking about that over the lifetime of a school career, that's nearly two full years of schooling. That's the just wait and see period, <laughs> right? So that's a lot yeah. of time. And, and probably a whole load of teachers. So actually perhaps that learning never comes through because if you change teacher every year, you know, I'm thinking junior schools now, exactly. and you change your class teacher every year, perhaps doesn't really come through unless the teachers are really consciously thinking about it and I guess that comes down to class size and time right and even if you are really concentrating on finding those strategies it still takes time yeah um so I really wish that schools were asking those questions more you Mm -hmm. know as part of an application process 
yeah. and, and prompting families to go get that information to, from past teachers. Yeah. Because yeah. time is the enemy when you are applying for a school. Schools are not going to be able to go search out that information as much as we want them to. And, and that's kind of where my role came from, is to be the one to go and be the detective to find that information that's the non-academic information to share with schools. Because for me as a teacher for the last 20 years, that was way more important than math scores or science scores or reading scores. How do I connect with the child? How do I help them be successful in that first week of school? So important that they're seen for themselves, I think, in that first week. Um, and as you say, if you don't have that information, it's very difficult amongst all the other pressures, you know, to, to, to find the time to work that out for yourself as a teacher, I imagine. So yeah. um, really, really helpful. Um, I'm thinking, so if I'm a parent with, you know, a child with specific educational needs, such as, you know, dyslexia, um, you know, what is your, because I don't have any perception of this um, because my two children haven't had that kind of a challenge they've had other challenges but what's your perception of how schools around the world approach this does it depend on country does mm. it depend on type of school yeah. you know how open are schools to taking children with these kinds of, of needs and I know there's a whole range of different needs right. but um, and how do you find the ones that are and how do you work out you know who has which schools have the best support systems for those kind of requirements? Yeah, that's a, a, a bit of a loaded question, right? Because they're all so different and, and mm. the kids are all so different. Yeah. And mm -hmm. So my strategy has been to find the other educational consultants that are local. Um, so if I'm working with a family that's, that's moving to Japan, I need to go find a local consultant in Japan that has their thumb on the pulse of what's happening at those schools there um, mm -hmm. and coordinating with someone locally. Um, I ha have a family that might be moving to Australia. So I have to reach out to someone there that knows, you know, where those schools are um, and hopefully has even been in some of those schools and can feel that out. Um, but for me, one of the important things that schools do is that they are able to say what students they can support and what students they can't. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. reason for that is if you don't know as a school, you're probably going to be floundering through it and it's not going to be a good environment for the students. Right. Okay. So um, established programs for me are one of the number one factors. Mm -hmm. But um, I also am, I'm also looking for schools that are excited about expanding um, how they serve students and their inclusive practices. Um, because I think we're finally at a spot with international schools where they realize that it's their ethical and moral duty to have all students in their school. Because right. you, you creating this, this idealistic picture of, you know, I'm only going to take students in this school that can pass the IB. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. that's not the real world. And we're, we're doing a disservice to our students by not showing them what the real world looks like and how to interact with all people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. as in these international schools and, and as expats, we're a bubble within a bubble within a bubble. So we have to make sure that we're, we're taking care to, to bring up our children in a way that prepares them for the real world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... 
what I do when I when I make contact with the school is I at right away it's it's a difficult question, but I ask them what kind of training the teachers have, um, and when the teachers or when the school is a bit defensive, that's my first cue that <laughs> okay, this is maybe a brand new program, or um, there's a lot of fluctuation in the staff, so they have someone running it at the moment that doesn't have the background um, that they should. Um, so. I think we're moving in the right direction. Schools are more willing to take students that have additional learning needs, but there's still a lot of work. So, so for parents listening, then you know, create a summary of your child's needs in terms of and character, um, in terms of understanding you know, how you would like your the school to teach, to treat your child, um, not just educationally, but also. Because emotionally right. and behaviorally as well mm-hmm. and then also you know, ask the right questions when you first speak to the school and be quite direct I guess in the absolutely yeah asking. so be really you know ask their you know their training if your child has um, you know a physical need in the school ask very specifically are there adaptive um, things for kids to play with on the playground mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, those kinds of things you need to be very pointed about your questions and be very clear with you and your partner about what are must-haves and mm-hmm. what are like-to-haves. Okay, that's a really good one, yes. So having yes. two different lists helps mm-hmm. you understand, it, it helps you quickly rule out schools. Um, yes. if, if they don't have the must-haves, you know, yes. those are ones yes. to let go. Yes. If your like-to-have is a school that has catered meals for lunch great but it's not a a deal breaker no no okay and I know we're talking about international schools generally here but Mm -hmm. you know increasingly people when they relocate are are not given the funding for private schools so they're looking to state education I know quite a lot of expats coming to the UK for example international signees with their families are encouraged by their companies to use the local schools because mm-hmm. they can be very good, but that is a very much a regional thing. So there's mm-hmm. kind of for them first and foremost to work out which are the best schools. Mm-hmm. But, and I don't mean best in the best resource schools because it can vary. It's terrible. Absolutely. It can does. Vary. Um, uh, but, and I suppose using the same profile, but the problem you have in the UK is that you barely get to talk to the schools because the local authorities do the allocation. Mm-hmm. And you, it's just a lottery. You, know, right. you get the school that has the space. And right. you get the school that perhaps has the program if your child is dyslexic for dyslexic children. Exactly. Um, so do you have any advice around that for parents? Well, you know, I just had someone write a blog post, a guest blog post on mine who is Australian, has lived in Switzerland for a long time. And she wrote about her process that she went through to learn to trust the local system. And it's right. a huge process because... Um, it's not anything that we know um, that we grew up in. But one of the other things to remember is that even if you were in your the town you grew up in and you were sending your kids to the same school you went to, it's mm-hmm. it's between twenty five and forty years later. It's not going to be the same school. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. your memory of school is going to be different regardless of where you are in the world. Mm-hmm. But add an extra layer of of maybe language and culture on top of that, and it's mm-hmm. it's completely different. Um, so, I would first recommend trying to trust the system, 
and try to um, assume competency, mm-hmm. meaning that everyone has your kids' interests, best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you go into the system distrusting everything that's going on, it's going to be painful mm-hmm. and it's going to hurt. Um, and your anticipatory anxiety is going to get even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're assuming the worst. Um, but like here in Switzerland, we have no way of rating local schools. Mm-hmm. The, the country as a whole has rejected that. Um, okay. And the other difference here too is that funding is the same in every school, right. which as Americans and, and, and Brits, we, that is a concept we can't understand because we're talking about um, property taxes and who, you know, those things that fund schools. And here it's across the board, all schools get the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Well, in the UK, I think it's down to number of children in the school. So it's related to pupil size. So it's not so much related. To, in, I know in the States it's related to taxation and yeah. property tax in the UK, not so much. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but even so, we get there in this huge variability, and we do rate schools. We have offset inspections, um, and mm-hmm. lots of pros and cons to all of that as well. But mm-hmm. actually, at least there is a system where you can go and see, well, did that school get outstanding at their last inspection, or were exactly. they below and needing special requirements? So, And that's what they're trying helpful. to avoid here. Um, and you cannot even observe and go into schools to look at them unless right. you already have an address. Yeah, and so yeah. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. And we, we really, we, um, our daughter was moved between schools between grade three and four, and we'd only been here eighteen months or so, so we contested it. And mm-hmm. um, through that process of letters back and forth, at the end, we got a bill for six hundred dollars, saying, "Thank you for <laughs> contesting." <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're glad so. that you wrote us letters. Now here's the bill for having answered them. <laughs> And they still didn't um, put her where we wanted. Um, oh, no. But again, that's kind of learning to trust the process um, and, and realizing it, it's going to be what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going to get some good schools. You're going to get some not so good schools locally. Um, yeah. But for kids yeah. with learning needs, um, I think what you need to do is reach out to the people that are already living there. Mm-hmm. and. Um, I mean, that's one of the good things about Facebook groups is you can typically always find one um, that, yeah, that, that is specific to your needs. And I, I moderate one here in Switzerland for expats that have kids um, with additional learning needs in the local system. Okay. And I don't do much in that group, but what happens is the questions that they're asking each other um, are so specific, but there's almost always someone in there that's had that specific experience previously right and even having situations where a a parent says i have a meeting next week i don't know what to do i don't know what to say and someone from the group will say i'll go with you okay and that's that's phenomenal yeah so yeah that's a really important point i think once again and it links into expat community around the world which is fantastic generally and and just searching for it because there probably will be one in and when, as you're living you know, out somewhere really remote, um, in major cities around the world, you're going to find something like yeah, that. Um, I agree. And, and then once you've been there, I think it's almost your duty to be the one that can, you know, help give yeah. some of that information to the new people that are coming in. Yes, yes, yes. So if there isn't one in your area and you're listening to this, 
consider starting one. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree. <laughs> challenge to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's just, one thing I want just to go, I'm coming to the end of our time, but I just wanted to talk about leaving because you mentioned that at the beginning mm. and that, you know, you gave some statistics that about leaving from the, the research by Ellen and Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know when I've left schools and my children have left schools, it's just been very much a case of, well, here's a card <laughs> and, um, bye possibly a cake um, <laughs> if I take it in <laughs> and then bye-bye and it can be oh, such a strange feeling in many ways because your child has perhaps been there for an, quite a few years mine were in, in Lisbon for four years a really formative time of their lives as well so mm-hmm. it it felt very very strange to walk away from something mm-hmm. that has been so meaningful to all of us mm-hmm. um so what tips do you have to parents about supporting that leaving experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, if we use some of the ideas of the raft, um, it, it's important to be able to tell people what they've meant to you during mm-hmm. that time. Um, one thing that I think is also really important is to get a lot of pictures, um, physical prints of pictures of the kids that have been meaningful in your child's lives. And that's something that you can initi- initiate if the school's not going to um, do that. But um, a picture with something written on the back or a card that goes with it, and then it can be in a book that can stay in your kid's bedroom. So when they need to, they reflect, they can pull that off the shelf and they have the pictures of the people. Because sometimes those pictures fade in our mind. And you need to be able to see those pictures again, even the, you know, the handwriting of the friends, um, which we don't see a whole lot anymore, right? Because we're all texting. We don't get to see someone's handwriting, which is so personal yeah. now mm-hmm. that we don't see people's handwriting. Um, so I would advocate for getting pictures of, of friends, have them write something down, a memory or something they liked about your child and, and getting that put in a book. Or um, suggesting it to the school that they do that for the whole class. Mm, mm-hmm. So you're, you know, it's, and my daughter has something like that for when we moved when she was in grade two. She still still pulls it out. She's in grade ten. Oh wow! So yeah. that is a lovely idea. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. still something yeah. that she looks at every once in a while. Mm, mm, um, and mm. give enough time to process the the transition mm. and the move that's up, upcoming. It's not a trip to Disneyland. You know, it, it's not something that you surprise a child with, regardless mm. of their um, cognitive capabilities. You know, mm. you, you know your child and, and what would work for them, um, but it should never be a surprise for anyone. No, no, I definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is a process that everyone works through leaving. Um, it's an interesting one to observe the people who are staying, but you do begin to see people gradually signing out and beginning to look forward I suppose that's the positive thing that you you can look hopefully you're doing something positive or I know now it might be more difficult with the pandemic but looking forward and and, and thinking about things you can look forward Mm -hmm. to in the new location as well yeah one of the other things I recommend is letting your kids go on google earth and kind of fly over their new neighborhood the new school (laughs) kind of walk through the streets from home to school if if they're going to be walking or riding their bike see what some of the things are in the new area, uh, mm. just have mm. some type of mental picture. Or if you've been on a house hunting trip, take some photos of yeah. where you are and let your kids look through those photos regularly. 
Um, yeah. So they can have a picture because when you don't have a mental picture, you create your own. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and then, you know, if some, some of my students maybe that were, are on the autism spectrum, if they've created their own picture and then they get somewhere and it's different, that's really yeah. going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Giving them the actual picture. If you're able to go to the school, take some pictures of the school. If you're able to meet the new teachers, take a picture of the teacher and mm -hmm. what the classroom mm -hmm. looks like. Um, it'll, I, I mean, for yeah. all kids, I think that would definitely help. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true for adults as well, setting realistic expectations and that involves doing some research and, and, and being real about what you're moving to rather than some hopeful dream of you know, something perfect. I know we'd right. all like well, that. How, but how many of us sit and look through you know, apartment ads or house ads before you're thinking about moving somewhere? I mean, that's, that's, we're doing the exact same thing. We need yes. a picture. Yes, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually probably you'll find if your children are anything like mine, my, my youngest daughter, one of the first things she'll do is go to Google Earth, even when we're planning a holiday. You know, we were, in fact, I was arranging an apartment for next year somewhere, and, and I was just saying, Oh, we're going to go. And before I'd even thought about it, she had Google Earth there, and she's going, This is the street outside, and look, we go at this angle, and this angle, and this angle. And you know, it's really interesting. But they've grown up with that technology, and mm -hmm. so they, yeah, yeah, they can use mm -hmm. that, which is, mm -hmm. is good. Okay, so. Um, oh, so much helpful information and sort of tips and ideas for, for thinking about and preparing your child for school, a school change. Um, do you want to just share a little bit more about your services so that if anyone who is sitting listening and thinking, oh, I could really do with your help, yeah, um, sure. they, they know what you do and how to get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah, you can. Um, parents can find me on remfreeeducationalconsulting.com. And um, there's lots of different ways that I can help families. One of them being this, this I call it a learner profile, which mm -hmm. um, is kind of the student resume to give to the, the next school. Um, and one of the reasons it's helpful for me, me as the educator to do that is because then I write it in teacher speak. So <laughs> I'm writing in the teacher language that the teachers, you know, at the, the incoming school can understand. And it takes a bit of emotion out of it. Um, and, and sometimes when you are, well, every time when you're in the middle of one of these big, huge moves, there are so many things on your plate. And the research says when you've got all those things, when you're moving internationally, your kid's schooling is one of the top two things mm -hmm. that you're concerned about. So feeling like you are, um, you've got an expert on your side, I think can relieve a bit of that anxiety. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that I can help families searching for schools, preparing this learner profile. Um, but we can do whatever it is that, you know, the combination of those things that's comfortable for a family. Yeah. And as you say all of that, you just make me think, um, you know, the perception we have of our children, as you just, as you said earlier, you know, the child at school versus the child at home and, mm -hmm. and their teachers see something probably quite different from what we see at home. And, and it has prompted me to think I should do my own learner profile <laughs> and, 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 and you know, ask those questions and, and build up mm -hmm. a better picture of what's going on at school. I mean, I do. Of course, we all do at parents' evening, but in the UK, I don't know about around the world, but those are often so academically focused. So yeah, and contrived. Get, yes, and they're five minutes long, so you kind of like, right, right. the teacher's yeah. feedback. Get to the next one. Feedback, <laughs> yeah, yeah the next one. So you don't get there 
real perception mm-hmm. and having said that at the school my kids go to you do get a sense of their affection for the kids which I would come away with thinking oh that is just so nice because they do make a point of picking up on some of the behavioral stuff but mm-hmm. not you know enough there isn't enough time to go into that so just right. as a parent you're making me think I'd love a, a format for, for thinking this through so I yeah. could yeah, do this without my kids leaving school. You know, they're not leaving school. Well, just, you bring up a good point too, because sometimes moving grade levels, even it would be helpful yeah. for the teacher. You know, especially if you're in an IB school and you're moving from you know grade five to grade six, that's a big jump. Or yeah. Um, yeah. primary to middle years, those kinds of things. Yeah, I would totally recommend if you've got any transition coming up, even if you're not physically moving, send an email to all your your kids' teachers and ask. What are the strategies that make my kids successful in your classroom? I'd like to share it with next year's teacher. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Great. Okay, so I will put a link to your website on the um, blog post associated with this episode. And I have just one final question, which I can really ask all my guests. And so you've moved quite a bit, so I know that. Um, so what would be your number one trip, tip <laughs> or recommendation um, that, that would help people build thriving lives abroad. Hmm. Ask for help would be my biggest tip. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, especially when you've landed in your new location. I think people are desperate to help. And if you give them specific ways they can help, I think it, it creates a bond very quickly early. You know, when you move somewhere, asking for help lets people help you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that feels good for everybody. Yeah, and asking for help amongst your neighbourhood as well in the, in the local community, I think, um, probably helps you create some connections there too. So not just yes. amongst the expat world as well. Yeah, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, April. I really Thanks for having the me. Conversation. Me no, too. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for listening today. Remember to access the blog post and transcript to go to thrivingabroad.com and look for episode 76. And do get in touch if there is any way in which I can support you. You can email me directly, louise at louisewiles.com. Also, remember to subscribe to my regular podcast newsletter by going to my website, thrivingabroad.com. That way I can keep you up to date with all the related Thriving Abroad podcast news. Thank you once again to April for joining me today. Go and check out her website and services at remfreeeducationalconsulting.com. I'll be back soon with the next episode in the Thriving Broad podcast series. Meanwhile, take care and stay well wherever you are in the world. Bye-bye for now. Bye.